Welcome to this week's episode of Fighting Words. Donovan here. If I make it through this, it'll be it'll be a miracle. I'm, I've got some coffee and some heartburn going on. So, but this is real, man. This is not fake stuff. We're here with all our illnesses and sins, and Ben Mal. How you doing, Ben? Doing well. Ben is. I, a, would, I would ask, how are you? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't I've already I've already led with it. I'm so self centered. <laughs> Um, ben Mao is a, for those of you who don't know, is a member extraordinaire of Redeemer at the Cedar Falls campus. Official title. Yeah, that's right. There are, there's pastors, servant leaders, members, and member extraordinaire, of which you are the only one, which is why it's so extraordinary. <laughs> you can't just hand that stuff out, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta earn it. Participation trophies. Yeah. So, Mao, is that German? Uh, I don't know what it is. You I think, don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a we're mutts a little bit. There's some mm. German, uh, Scottish. I was gonna say Irish. Scottish, man. Yeah, because I just watched Braveheart, and you could be in that movie, bro. <laughs> the red Get the beard. red beard, yeah. yeah. You know, I've been called red beard before. So plus, you could you look like you could swing a medieval weapon. <laughs> I don't know, Cl- claymore, <laughs> something like that. My brother. So I have. Well, a bunch of brothers, but I have an older brother who has red hair, red beard. My closest older brother has blonde hair, the red beard. I have brown hair with a red beard. So we got like all the combinations of different hair colors with a red beard. The red beard is just like that master feature. Just yep. your daughters are going to have it. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> my brother, my blonde brother's been told though that the blonde hair with a red beard is a like symbol of Viking ancestry. Oh yeah, Apparently, yeah. Okay, so. cool. Well, it sounds like you got a lot of sins of the fathers to carry around. Then, <laughs> yeah. one of them being having a bunch of kids. That's right. So Ben, uh, uh, what, what we're going to talk about today is, I don't know, something about millennials. Yeah. And so we'll get around to that, but let me chit chat with you a little bit. Sure. Um, you work at John Deere. Correct. And uh, you're some kind of engineer. Yeah. What kind of engineer? Also the official title. Yeah, engineer extraordinaire. No. He's some kind. Some kind, <laughs> what, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's what they call him. It's just, <laughs> what an engineer. That's his title. <laughs> uh, no, so I my undergraduate degree is in mechanical engineering, so that's the training that I have. And then I'm a, I work in product engineering is kind of the more function. So um, the team that I work on does product testing for tractors. So we do physical software um, lab tests, field tests, all sorts of stuff. Was that you that posted that picture of the uh, new tractor with like the tank tracks? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, they just publicly announced it yesterday. I th- felt like I saw one on a trailer last summer or something. You may very well have. So that yeah. would have been one of the first sightings. Like, this is brand new? <clears throat> yeah, brand new. I saw it first. You did? Yeah, Same I thing. think. Like, anyone can even know that. <clears throat> yeah, there's all sorts of people online. Like, there's farmer forums online. Yeah, and it's like that's where you can always find this stuff first because they they take it super seriously. Those guys are avant garde. Yeah, they're the like farmers. spotters, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I saw something that didn't look right headed down the highway in this direction," and you're like, "Wow, that looks good. like a lot of added uh, moving parts to a vehicle." <laughs> that's what I think. Oh gosh, like just instead of just a wheel, so it's basically yeah. like four, yeah, tank of, tracks. So what do you call those? Yeah, they're just tracks. So yeah. instead of tires, you put tracks on there. It, it is a lot of extra moving parts. What's um, the advantage? The advantage is you get better traction. There's less soil compaction, so 
um, when you're driving huh. over it, you don't have to till it as much to restore it to its okay, original okay. state. Um, but getting your power to the ground is probably the biggest advantage. So that's typically when the conditions get muddy or slippery. That's where tires start to struggle. I mean, just like with cars. So having tracks gives you, um, there's less slip typically yeah. when you're in that kind of environment. So is that thing all tracks drive? Is that the, like do all four? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not wheels. Yeah. Four track drive. Um, yeah, all four of them drive. Because yeah. that's not normal, right? You, the traditional tractor just be rear? Um, I mean, traditional going back to like maybe the 60s. Oh, I'm old school though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. So anything, most tractors <laughs> made within the last 20 to 30 years are all f- driving wheels on all four corners. Okay. So the real question is, can you get Daniel Sheets a discount on one of those? <laughs> I wish I could give me a discount on you, one. You'd roll it just a... Yeah. We, I mean, we get employee discounts, but it's not on the big stuff. Not for tractors, right? Because <laughs> there's so many, shirts. so many deer people that farm. Like you, everybody would be out there using their like, you know what I mean. It, all your employees would be spending your profits on. Do you say there's so many discounts. deer people that farm? Yeah, there are a lot of people who work at John Deere that farm themselves. They either their family farms and they help with that, or they have a hobby <laughs> farm, or they nights and weekends. Huh. Yeah. Okay, so what do you use your employee discount on? Or could you? Like a, a lawnmower? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. probably like the biggest thing you could get with it. But most of the time it's more stuff from like the gift shop, so yeah, yeah. presents for Christmas and stuff like that. So you got like the John Deere green, uh, well it's not exactly, but it's it's close. You got a green uh, fleece on right now, which is what made me think of that. And yeah. Do you know John Allen? I know, he's the graphic designer guy. Yep. I don't know him, I know his name. Anyway, he works for Fuel and I th- I, th- I think they they do all your stuff. Like John Allen does all your stuff. He is single handedly responsible uh, yeah, for absolutely. Yeah, now John Deere's marketing. Yep. yep. <clears throat> so Which is anyway. interesting because our our uh previous CEO is Sam Allen and our oncoming uh president, I can't remember what his role is, is John May. So yeah, John oh, there Allen it is. right there at the top. Yeah. Yeah, it's a conspiracy. Um Illuminati oh, well, let me ask one one more stuff on, on this uh I've uh, you know we I know a lot of engineers because of uh, John Deere up here, but also Collins Aerospace down in yep. Cedar Rapids, and uh, it's interesting. Some some guys really like their job and are glad they chose that as a career path, and some guys feel like, "What did I do?" And now I'm just like in this world, and you know I got to get out. And yeah. I'm depressed. And which one are you? Are you somewhere on that spectrum? I'm definitely the first one. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. No, I've I think it's been a really good fit for me. I. This was what I picked kind of coming out of high school, and I haven't really looked back. I think the two requirements that I was looking for in a company coming out of college were uh, somewhere that would offer me a challenge, like intellectually, something that would that would give me something thought-provoking, that some problem that I'd have to solve. And then the other one was a company that I could be proud to work for, and I feel like John Deere has met and exceeded both of those. How does, how does John Deere make you proud to work for them? So, I mean, I grew up in a farming community, so I know um, the value that farmers place on their equipment. I mean, what it means to them. There's multiple generations of people farming their family farm, you know, going back, in some cases, hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, so they, it's just written into their DNA at this point as part of their who they are and their identity. And in a lot of ways, the brand of tractor that their family operates can go right along with that. Um, but it's more than just what it means to farmers, really. John Deere's helping them put food on the table of, you know, homes in America and homes around the world. Yeah. So it's a very real, 
you know, it's not like if you, you could not own a cell phone, right? Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> okay, but so you could... You could <laughs> Transitioning to millennials here. Yes. No. But so there are things that you could you could have or not have, and yeah. your, your life would be different, but okay. Food is food. Yeah, like you can't get away from food and that need. Dude, it's and it's crazy. I was talking to Augie about, Augie, my son, the other day about this, how basically as time has progressed, you have fewer and fewer people making food for more and more people right yeah. so it used to be basically you're personally responsible to eat you get up you got to hunt and gather yep and you go up to a village size you know and like you know they gather we hunt you know and you share but man you get it to societies of our scale and there's a real vulnerability there actually is yeah is what it is like something goes wrong with the grid with i don't know the farmers go on strike and man I don't know where I'd get food. Yeah. And you want to talk about like a seismic shift in the way that society operates when people don't have to spend the bulk of their day um, planting crops or, you know, tilling the soil, whatever it, whatever operation it is in a farm or hunting. Now, suddenly that's enabled the workforce. IPhones. Yeah. It, it freed up the workforce to be able to do all this other stuff that we have now, you know, build airplanes and cars and all the other things. So Yeah. Well, when the crap hits the fan, we'll just have to eat our iPhones. Yeah, I hope they taste good. Yeah, something those in there. rare earth metals. That's right. Hey, hey, we're not going to get to the topic because I just I just want to keep asking you stuff. <laughs> a couple uh, weeks ago, maybe I uh, I I named names. I called out the libertarians during one of my sermons. Yeah. Were, you, were you there? I wasn't there, but I heard oh, it. You heard? Yeah. Oh no, that's even worse. Okay, that it's funny you mentioned that though because so I was actually running sound <laughs> for in the booth when that video was playing and i was like i was joking with luke or jack or somebody afterward like i kind of wanted to just like put it on pause and oh like, wait a minute okay, i thought you said you weren't there correction. i was there but i wasn't well you weren't listening i wasn't live you know oh live yeah 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 okay yeah yeah but you heard it yeah, yeah i yeah. heard it that's what Sorry. i meant yeah so i bring that up because i know you're a self-described libertarian fair yeah, enough yeah. yeah and i i i listen to actually i listen to a, a libertarian podcast Really, really, really a lot. So I have a lot of sensitivities toward that, and you sure. know, yep. so I didn't mean it as like a giant. Like, what's wrong with libertarians? <laughs> no, you I know, threw something out there without a lot of nuance. Um, but why did I bring it up? Oh, why did I? Okay, because I was talking about. I read this article that said, um, uh, Christian evangelicals more than twice as likely to blame poverty yep. on personal responsibility. Yep, and then, um, and that's. And personal responsibility. I mean, if, if you talk to libertarians, that's one of the, you know, f- top five things that will be brought up. Yeah. That's why I made the correlation. But yeah. So tell me, you wanted to pause that. Okay, so now's your chance. Pause that <laughs> sermon. I just publicly slandered y- your ilk. <laughs> that's a funny word, isn't it? Ilk? Like, yeah. it sounds bad, but it just means, like, the group of things like you. Yeah. So I that's would, what I call my family, my ilk. Yeah. I call my wife that. I don't know why it sounds bad, but I always think it. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's just a funny word. Yeah. Um, All right. So now you get to pause the sermon and go. Hold on. Let me. Uh, yeah. So I think um, the the general point was that you know because libertarians have this view of personal responsibility, that then that makes them mm, less responsible for others or or uh, frugal, less compassionate, frugal, less compassionate, right? So, which I think maybe is true, but for me, I try to look at the bigger picture in that. So one of the reasons that I've adopted a libertarian perspective is because I don't feel like the government is the best institution 
to be spending the money necessary to help those in need. So right. for me, yes, absolutely, there's personal responsibility, but that means the freedom that I have to uh, spend the money how I see fit, if the government's not taking it through taxes, is then an obligation for me, in my opinion, to care for those in need. So I think... Dig, I like it. The the freedom that I have becomes an obligation. Now that's fair. I hear that and I believe you, but that's not what you're hearing on libertarian podcasts. Sure. I mean, you've got people that are just going to say, no, it's mine. I'm going to keep it and do whatever I want with it, right? I mean, that's... And which may include that, but I think it's... Yeah. Anyway, so good. Well, you get so, to defend yeah. your position. And I think it's... I think with freedom comes great responsibility to some extent, right? So, oh. like... I've heard that somewhere. But it's more about me living out my convictions individually rather than me going around through the government forcing everyone to live out my convictions. Oh, right? gosh, man. We're never going to get to our topic at <laughs> hand because... Okay, so, I mean, whatever. Let me ask this. You sound um, like a teenage girl. I know. Whatever, dude. Um, so what, oh, man, I was just reading the Bible the other day mm-hmm. for the first time in like a month. Wow. No. And um, let me pull this I thought you were going to say for the first time ever. <laughs> it's like, wow, you faked it real hard, man. <laughs> no, listen to this. So you're familiar with the Romans 15, uh, Romans 13, you know, Symmetry yeah, Authorities yeah. type thing. Well, keep reading. Um, listen to this. Romans thirteen five. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath. So he just got done talking about government wielding the sword. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. the one that usually comes to mind to to punish evil. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Taxation is theft, right? <laughs> I mean, that's another big... Yeah, yeah. Right? For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, which you wouldn't say, don't pay your taxes. Right, yeah, no. So you're not saying, let's rebel. and, um, But it's hard to make the argument that taxation is theft and that the government doesn't have the role to take money. and Yeah, and so I... This I've, becomes about... Spectrums, right? Yeah, at some level. I'm not the strictest of libertarians in that sense because obviously there's a scriptural mandate there. So I'm trying to walk in alignment with that. But also, I mean, we live in a nation that is defined by the influence of its voters on taxes, for example. I mean, right? That was the the rallying cry of the founding fathers was taxation without representation for the Boston Tea Party and and the whole revolution, right? So yeah. I think in the structure that we've built for ourselves we have some freedom there and how much taxation we vote on to yeah. ourselves or vote off. Right. So yeah. I'm not saying don't pay your taxes or there shouldn't be any taxes. Um, but I definitely have a more minimalist perspective yep. on government than more. And yes. I mean, like we talked about before, I think having a government that is everyone's caretaker makes it much harder for the church to show any difference from the world and taking care of people's needs also. So it's, I don't know. Yeah, so let's shut down the government so the church can shine. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Christian libertarianism. That's right. So anyway, there's that minor talking point. We could probably do a whole show on that. But So we're going to talk about millennials, and we're going to categorize, stereotype. I mean, you just have Cast to. Cast yeah. aspersions. <laughs> Cast aspersions, yeah. So, um, you know, I had asked you, you know, what you wanted to talk about, and, and you said something to the uh, to the effect of, like, millennials and 
wanderlust was was kind of an issue so we'll get there and yeah so i did some you know some official research on wikipedia oh, this sounds serious i just read on i had to do some catching up and uh i have a couple things that that came up that i think are interesting but number 1 millennials are do you know the age range of an of a millennial yeah i was going to i was going to mention that what is it so millennials officially is anyone born between 1981 and 1996 was so, you on wikipedia too what i thought uh, i, it felt, was I sensed your presence there <laughs> yeah i was I like think, i'm not yeah, alone that's in right. this yeah that's right. So that means the upper age range is 38. Yeah. 20, what is that? We're got 23 to 38. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to, I think there's maybe a misconception amongst the general public that anyone who looks young and sounds annoying is a millennial. <laughs> but I think the reality is that millennials are older than most people would guess or yeah. imagine them to be. I'm yeah. not far. I'm 44. Yeah. Until tomorrow? Something like that. Yeah. 44 so i'm only six years off of that you know yeah. but yeah I, I tend to think of college students or just out of college right. but which is really gen z now right that's a different one so yeah. the millennials and they and the name uh basically means they came of age yep. around the turn of the millennium yep right so so there's that yeah age 23 to 38 and how old are you i'm gonna be 30 in about a month so you're like right in the middle yep yes yeah, and I thought I think it's interesting because really millennials the way you hear about them in the media is like they're kind of like the snowflake culture and you know getting offended about everything it's like well that's today's college students or at least from what I've read this Gen uh, Z yeah. All right, let's cast aspersions on them. Yes. I, I, all the negatives so, are going to Gen Z. Yeah. Here's You're Gen X, so I can't really go too far that direction. That's right. So basically everything that you think poorly about millennials is actually about Gen Z. <laughs> End segment. <laughs> no, but really, I think for me, one of the surprising things is that really millennials right now are people who are early in their career, they're young families, you know, they're they're in that phase of life where you're kind of hitting your stride, you're not quite middle age, you know, you're getting into that range, but um, definitely a little bit older than I think people imagine. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. So um, we, we, we zero in on the wanderlust thing <clears throat> later. Um, but what do you think are some of the, you know, when people do, the, when they talk about millennials, what are the things that are brought? I mean, you can just Google what's the problem with millennials. And, yeah. man, it is just like it's billions of hits. Everyone's written an article about why yeah. they suck. And then there's all these ones about why they don't suck, you know, written by them. Right. Yeah. In defense. And, like, this, it's certainly become a, a conversation in the culture. I like to look at the, uh, you know, who the author is on each of those articles because – I wish it showed their age too, especially yeah. when it's related to generation, because then you can kind of get a better sense for how biased or unbiased they yep. may be. But I was actually thinking about it on the drive home from work. Um, there's such like this construction around generations, right? And like that it actually means something. Okay. You know, like there's there's these definitive boundaries and all these right. traits that are assigned yep. to them. And I was just thinking about how. I mean, I think a lot of it's true, but to some extent, it's also arbitrary. And I feel like we just kind of, relative to each other, we point fingers and we see strengths and weaknesses and so on. But fundamentally, none of us are born differently from a generational perspective, right? It's not like, you know, there's a switch flipped in, in 1981 and God's like, all right, we're going to start pumping out millennials now, you know, like the ah, batch change. Right, which is why this episode is a farce. Yeah, It's based we, on quit. false social constructs. Yeah, but, you're right. And, and why stop at 38? You know, if you take that 20-year range and just move it three right, years, suddenly... Right. 
So, I mean, along with all the conversation about generations is the concept of, I mean, you already said it, like there's a spectrum, right? So you, there are people who are older than 38 that probably match the millennial identity, mm. so to speak, more yeah. than people who are in it. Um, but also, I think all the traits that go along with it are more uh, a response of people growing up in that era to what society has become around them. Right. So yes. it's not that people are intentionally or have inherent traits that are different or are intentionally pursuing something different. You know, society has changed in the 20 years. So it is society's year. fault. I think a lot of it, the way that a generation is shaped is based in response to the previous generation. So there's reactions yeah. and overreactions. So there are certainly uh, things that can happen. Like if you think of the boomers, why are they called that? Well, because it was post-war right? Yep. and everyone came back and started making babies. That was a, um, a dominant social force. Yep. Right, that does shape a generation. So you, that's what you're talking about. Um, so, well, and hey, I, I read this quote. It said, uh, usually when you read descriptions of millennials, it says what you're actually talking about is a subgroup within that age range, which is uh, white, affluent teenagers who accomplish great things as they grow up in the suburbs. <laughs> that's really specific. I know. Well, let me ask you, let's just, are you white? I am white. Uh, is your yeah? You're freaking Scottish. I like, self-identify as white. Yes. You uh, are you affluent? Yeah, probably. Okay. Well, clarification though. Does that mean current status or how? You I mean, raised? how you grew up? Uh, then no. Okay. Well, it I mean, what mean by by like U.S. standards, no. Like, did you grow up in the suburbs? No. Oh, Rural. where'd you grow up? Uh, in the hood. Town of two thousand people. You're in the hood. Oh in no! The, in the two thousand. In the nowheres. Okay. The whole county had 30,000 people. Yeah. We were the, my hometown was the county seat with 2,000. Okay. What did your parents do or what did they do? So, um, up until I was about five or six years old, they owned a farm. Okay. They had a specialty fruit farm with like apples, pears, peaches, apricots. That sounds that pretty stuff. affluent, bro. Now that you, <laughs> we had a specialty, uh, fruit farm. <laughs> yeah. Well, so they, so, Context all right, all right. here: They sold the farm because they weren't making money with oh, it. Oh, okay. Basically, it so was that, too specialty. Yeah. So then my dad went to work for the company that bought it. It was a fruit processing company. He was a construction manager there for a few years, and then he had um, knee surgery, and he was kind of under unemployed or underemployed for a number of years. And then he had a bunch of different jobs. So he worked at a a company that made library furniture yeah. for like universities. And then after that, he worked at a place that did uh, Jeep tours on the sand dunes. Um, and then that guy also owned a coffee distribution business. And a couple of years after my dad started there, he wanted to get out. So he sold it to my dad. So now my dad does coffee distribution. So I, I, I read this. It depends on how, what you mean by affluent. I read this as not on welfare, like middle class, right? They're not saying these are the, these aren't the people living in Malibu. But there's, I think they're just saying... Which is unavoidable. When you're going to make general um, sweeping characterizations <clears throat> of a generation, you're gonna sure. you're gonna have to talk about the middle, right? Yeah, and yeah. what is that? That's white. Yep. That's middle class. Most people are white and middle class in America. So, you know, they're not on welfare. They can't just they're not jet setting all over the place. But they have health insurance. They go to the dentist. You know, they have a they have a Nintendo, whatever you want to call it, right? I, that's kind of yeah. how I read that. Maybe they yeah. mean something different, but well, and I mean it's really just picking out the most uh, statistically likely category, right, from that generation, right? Essentially, based on the numbers. Although it'd probably be women, but 
So what are the things? So so uh, well, let's talk about the characterizations, right? Like uh, m- millennials are entitled. Mm. Um, <clears throat> they have a sense of entitlement. Let's put yeah, it that way. Yeah. They, they they manifest a sense of entitlement. Um, um, they maybe also are referred to as the Peter Pan generation. Is a hmm. another I that one right? because they they postpone a, adult rites of passage. Oh, traditional sure. yeah, traditional yeah. rites of passage are being postponed. And Forever a child. Now, what's interesting is as I was reading about different generations, it's actually. Every generation looks at the next generation that way, <laughs> yeah. but statistically, it, it's actually true. Like, if you look at um, what age people get married, yeah, at what age they start having kids, these are the rites of passage. Yep. Uh, at what a- how many kids they have, um, those numbers there's a there's a trend from each generation to the next. Right. So Gen X was getting married later. Then whatever the pre- were the boomers before the one before that yeah Be- then the boomers yeah and having less so, kids so it's like it's a trajectory this this goes back to my earlier point that I was making is that those trends are outside of generations right like you can observe right. them within generations but that's a macro trend right that's having impressions on the generations as they proceed but that's probably based more on people spending more time in college right so there's they're becoming more educated they're waiting longer to get married because they don't have as much fi- financial stability because they're student loans or whatever. I don't want to get into all the excuses, but... No, no, but that's um, the stuff I want to talk about. What are the oh, fact- okay. Okay, well, well, let's talk about the characterizations but and then... The, you want to know the, something really interesting, though? So but, I, how, how could I say no? I turned 30 in December. I'm still below the median, the current median age for a male to become married in the U.S. To get married. Like, yes. So that kind of blew my mind. I found that out earlier oh, this year. Oh, where's one I read? Because uh, I think it's like 31 or something, maybe even older, like 32 for women. I was like, wow, I'm still below the listen to this. median age. By age 40, mm-hmm. 31% of women... Wow, well, these aren't millennials. I don't understand what this meant. Oh, projected. Maybe it's projected. By age 40, 31% of um, millennial women will be single. 30%. And then they said similar trends among men. I'm like, well, yeah. Just, <laughs> you didn't have to I'm you like, didn't have to do that other study. <laughs> Just save some money. <laughs> similar trends. Among it, but yeah. that's two times uh, Generation X. Hmm. So when they say single, is that just unmarried or? Uh, yeah, unmarried. Not in a relationship. Uh, unmarried. Okay, sure. Unmarried. Maybe they're maybe so they're that, hooking up or just yeah. living together without getting married, which that correlates yeah. to a statistic I've seen that uh, divorce rates are actually declining with millennials because they're not getting married. Because they're not getting married. So those who are getting married are getting married because they want to and they think it's the right thing to do and they're staying together long term. Huh. And then the ones that don't just don't bother getting married in the first place. Yeah, that's interesting because if you if you buck the tradition, I mean, if, uh, certainly historically many people have gotten married just because you had to. You were going to get shamed in society right, if you right, didn't. Yeah. So you get married, you keep some chicks on the side. Yeah. All right. So they're entitled. They are immature. Um, there's some positive stuff like they're tech savvy. They're the, that's part of the thing. They're the yeah. first generation. I'm okay tech savvy, but I certainly learned it later. Like I yeah. didn't. You know, when I was in college, I didn't have an iPhone. Yeah. Um, that stuff wasn't around. I mean, man, in high school, I think internet, when did that come out? It was starting to come out. It was slow. There was dial-up. Like, But, yeah, your generation is the first one to have to just never had to transition. It just You just well, had it. 
So we still did. Okay, tell so, me about I it. I mean, when I was in middle school and high school, we had dial-up internet. I mean, I remember the world before. No, it's because you were out in the. I was yeah out yeah in the okay. country. I was rural yeah, but I mean you, you know, had a mule. About, you had to ride your mule to the. <laughs> yeah. Post office. Mule, that's luxury. We had to walk. <laughs> you weren't yeah. affluent. Yeah, no. No, but I mean, I remember, you know, cassette tapes, uh, Walkman, like uh, CD players. Yeah, dial-up internet, calling long distance. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things. You get toward the tail Collect of the calls. Millennials. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever received one, but I knew what they that's were. That's because you're so affluent. Yeah. My grandpa and grandma still had a rotary phone when I was, okay. you know, a kid. Yeah. Phones had home home numbers right it wasn't just cell phone numbers mm. but yeah to your point i think the millennial generation has definitely been the first one to they were still young enough to catch on quickly with technology as it emerged i think um so we adapted quickly but i've talked to friends at work a number of times about how all of us picked up our typing skills from using instant messenger like msn and chat and stuff like that so before our generation, if you were going to learn typing, you probably took a typing class in high school or in college. All of us picked up typing because we wanted to talk to each other through Instant Messenger. So now yeah. now at work, we're proficient in typing because we used Instant Messenger for years and years. So it's kind of crazy that an informal teaching method evolved because people wanted to communicate rather than just going to class to learn how to type. So you can have – you, have you noticed uh, – you can tell uh, – well, one of the markers uh, marks of of growing up that way is that you text with both thumbs. Yeah. Right. That's probably how you text. Right. You sit there and you. Yeah, it depends. And some you see someone like who's fifty, yeah, or sixty. You know, and they got their phone and they're like looking at it, holding it, and then they're pointing at it with one finger. Hold and on, then, you're being generous. <laughs> so you got <laughs> you got to pull the glasses down. Uh, look it, over the glasses. And, yeah, look over the glasses, and then you're holding it out. At arms oh, way out there, way out there. Yeah, That's yeah. okay. And then, but then you're texting with one finger like yeah. this, you know. I find I myself people, I do I do with thumb and a finger, so I'm like in the uh, middle. It's really weird. I don't <laughs> a physical blend of the generational yeah, yeah. manifestations. That's all right. I see people at work, not many, but I do see a few who are like hunting and pecking for keys on the board, you know, yeah. one finger to time. Oh, I do that. It, yeah. I'm pretty quick at it, but yeah. Um, okay, we're about halfway through. I try to keep these at about an hour, so I want to I want to get to stuff you want to talk about. Um, so we get it. They they suck. They're uh, lazy. Uh, they're entitled. Every generation thinks that of the next one. Um, and then, you know, I read could, this. Could that be because the next generation is already responsible adults? And so, like, they've got their oh, stuff locked down. To, yeah, to some extent. And yeah. so it's just like, <laughs> you're so far behind. It's like, yeah, I was born 15 years later. Yeah, and they forget what it was like when they were 20. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but there are also some, you know, so, some societal trends that yeah. have yep. shaped a generation, like the development of tech, um, the, well, you mentioned the, the rising cost of school, and therefore yeah. in more, way more student debt than ever. I in mean, addition to the rising cost of school, I mean, just the trend of pushing everyone to go to college, right? I mean, yes. the cost of school is less significant if you didn't have so many people going through to get a degree that's not going to pay off in the end, right? So, Why is everybody doing that? So I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan, and he had Penn yeah. Gillette on, yeah. who I think is pretty libertarian. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's left-wing in, in, in terms of his social... Uh, you know social issues but in terms of the government like he's like tear this down you know yeah. so he was talking about you know bernie sanders says you know we're gonna pay for everyone's school or elizabeth warren or whoever's saying that and he's like why are we assuming people need to go to school right like, let's tear yeah. down these institutions yeah. why are we spending thousands and hundreds and millions and billions of dollars ultimately to send kids 
to this institution. He's, he's, he's arguing that it's outdated. It used to be, you know, they had all the right. information. You didn't have books. You were out on some farm. Right. One place had all the books. You had to go there. And but the information age just changes that. Like, yeah, I think the whole structure of higher learning really needs to be revamped to reflect some of the changes that we've seen. Burn and, it, dude. Burn it. I mean, I have a, a friend who is a um, union crane operator in Chicago. Okay, he had six months. I think he told me six months of operator engineer training, and he said he was the lowest paid guy on his on his crew, making sixty five dollars an hour before Ooh. overtime. So I'm out here like, what the heck did I go to college for, right? I mean, or people who are looking at college and they're like, that's not for me. I don't, I don't fit that mold. There are so many opportunities out there for people who don't have college degrees to still make a good living. And I mean, that. Oh, and why is? Oh man. Okay, so now good living. We're gonna get on that. We're gonna get back on that libertarian train here. Why is college so expensive, Ben Mal? (sighs) Do I want? Well, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know any of the numbers. My personal opinion from what I observed in college is that there are way too many programs. There's so much administrative weight in universities now. And I've seen it where you've got somebody in admissions, minimum requirement for that position is a master's degree. And literally all they're doing is, is helping students. Okay, but what's enabling it. that? How is that possible? we got to go keep going, man. Keep going. So part of it is universities have all these graduates – that don't have jobs when they get out, right? Because they they've got a degree in communications, or and I'm not I'm not trying to belittle these things, but there's a lot of people who take generic um, uh, liberal arts degrees because they're not sure what they want, or they think they can use it anywhere, or whatever. And then when they graduate, they're still not sure what they want. So they're like, well, I'll get a master's. But but a school can't have people graduating and then their job placement rate is 10 percent, right? Like nobody's going to go there. So to me, what I've seen happen is. People graduate, and then the university offers them positions, whether that's... Yeah, but where are they getting all that money? Okay, so here's where I'm going, and this is... I don't know the rabbit hole. Listen to this guy named Peter Schiff, and he's also big time, you know, big on capitalism and and, and libertarianism. And and he's it's just a bubble, right? Why is this happening? It's because of government... Regulation. Well, funding, right? All the loans, the the government-backed loans, the fact... It's kind of like the housing bubble, right? Sure. What, what, what hap- why was there a housing if bubble? If you didn't fund it, it couldn't exist, right? It couldn't exist. The only, yeah. Right. So why can the co- the university charge you $150,000 for an education? Because you're not going to pay for it. Right. Right? Right. Because I don't, yeah. I'm going to take out some giant loan, which may or may not be paid back. The university gets its money onto the next customer. It's a bubble. Yeah. It's sure. a bubble. So that's his argument. His argument you know, for oh, you want to tear you want to tear this down, or at least make it healthy again. Stop with the loans. Stop with all the grants. Stop like you're. It's a bubble. It's a financial bubble, and and it needs to reset. Right? Yeah, I can see it. But there's going to be a riot if you do that. So I was reading this article in the Huffington Puffington Post that says, um, so we're going for some real journalism here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so it's a it's a it's you know it's it's the millennial guy saying. You know, we've heard it. You, you guys say we suck, and we've heard all the insults. But here's what you need to know: we've taken on at least 300 percent more student debt than our parents. Why? 300 percent. Um, we're about half as likely to own a home. Uh, it's not that they don't want to, but it's, it has to do with the ratio between income yeah. and p- home prices. Um, do you want to keep going? Because I yeah yeah go and, go. So I know a lot of people that 
share these views, right? And I'm not saying, these views being these views being that there are all these systemic, all the barriers, to social, yeah, yeah. yeah, barriers to homeownership or whatever you want to call it. Um, so there's definitely an element of that, right? Because yeah. there was a pipeline or has been a pipeline of people being pushed to college that didn't really understand what was going on, didn't have a fundamental grasp of economics or why they were doing what they're doing, right? So in some sense, the system failed them in that regard. To me, that's just another point for libertarianism is like, well, this thing's broken. It's like our current, I think something like a third of students coming out of high school need remedial education before they are, you know, quote unquote, prepared for college. So it's like, well, that's not working. Why would we make college free if our current, you know, K through 12 education system doesn't work? But anyway, so the bigger picture is that there are a lot of people talking about these barriers that they have to living the life that they want to some extent, whether it's home ownership or whatever it might be. And I'm not disagreeing with the numbers. I think those are certainly accurate, but I also see, and this isn't, this isn't just me looking at people online. This is people that I know where, you know, we're talking about, well, I can't afford a house, but you know, they'll spend $1,500 to fly to Europe and, you know, they're right. there for it's two weeks. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, so it's like there's so many things that we're choosing to do instead of buy houses or whatever. So I don't feel like that's something you can try to put back on society entirely and just blame the boomers or whatever for destroying the job and housing market. I, I think we value different things and so we make different decisions. And part of that is because of debt and the cost of school and stuff, but part of it isn't, so... Yeah, well, I, I was reflecting on this earlier. I think it, it's certainly a mix. It's a mix of a, uh, uh, well, it's it's um, nat- na- it's nature and nurture, right? It's our nature, which is sinful, right? Right. So, how does that manifest? Well, in different ways, you know, some some degree of laziness, some degree of entitlement, and it's not just millennials. This is humans. This is how we are, right? So we have some degree yep. of pride, some degree of, you know, blaming the other, not taking responsibility. And then you're going to come up against a culture that's also broken. It's like fragility meets fragility is what it is like. Yeah. The, your, if your expectation is that, man, we should all not have debt, have insurance, you know, own a home. It's like, well, that'd be nice. And But that's not the expectation of, say, someone born in Afghanistan. Sure, yeah. Right? Like yeah. their expectation is is completely way different. So that's a really good point. I think one of the things that goes unmentioned in a lot of these conversations is how much our standard of living expectation has changed, radically changed in the last hundred years. Like my great grandma lived to be 104. She was born, you know, before the Titanic sank, before World War One. She remembered a lot of those things coming up, you know, like pumping her own water, not having indoor plumbing, not having cars, you know. So in her lifetime, she went from horses being the main mode of transportation to commercial airliners, right? Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine what that scale of change is like within one lifetime and trying to keep up with that. It, it just blows my mind. But I think about um, the generational difference in that even just one or two generations ago, we had people coming out of high school who valued education so highly that they were willing to work all the, you know, they'd work two extra jobs, they'd work over the summer, they'd do whatever it took to put themselves through college because they saw the opportunity there, right? And now I've got people, or I'm listening to people say that, well, that's an injustice that you would have to work two jobs to right. put yourself through college. And I'm like, what are you talking about? People consider that a privilege yeah. to put themselves through college, right? And now, 
so many people are going to college. It's just an expectation that if college isn't there for you, somehow you've missed out and you've been cheated by society. And we need to tax the rich. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, how can you have any sense of achievement of anything in life if it's all been paid for and been given to you? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know what you would get out of that. If it's free, it becomes valueless, right? It's worthless. Yeah. This expectation is, is a huge thing. Um, and yeah, that's going to come up against our, um, yeah, our inabilities, our sin, all this stuff. So, but the thing is, I think that's, and it isn't a millennial thing. It's what, it's what we are. So like if I, um, if I take my kids to lunch once a week, yeah, they're now entitled to it. They do. So one of the things that, so my, I give them an allowance, mm-hmm. give my girls a couple bucks. And one time my daughter, one of them comes to me and says, can I have my allowance? And I said, you don't have an allowance. She was calling it hers. Yeah, like, yeah. Where it, if it's yours, show it to me. And she's kind of confused. And <laughs> why are you speaking to me this her. way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I go meta. And I go, you, you, what you want to do is say, can I have an allowance? And there was this issue of entitlement. Yeah. Like, you're not entitled to $2. Right. You know, you're not. I, and I may not be able to do that anymore for whatever reason. I may yeah. decide to redirect the money, whatever. But it's not yours. <clears throat> My point there is that this isn't a millennial issue. This is a human issue. Sure. When we, what, what our norm be, does become our, our this, what we feel entitled to in the expectation. So I don't think that's right, but I understand it. I'm not like, yeah. what's wrong with these people having a sense of entitlement? I'm like, well, they're like me. They're, they're, it's, yeah. it's what humans do. We, yeah. And I think the other thing that's, that sticks out to me, so um, I feel like it's easy, it becomes easier and easier with every passing day to talk about what barriers and obstacles you have and allow those to just become, well, that's why nothing happened is because there's all these issues, right? Um, but there's a guy that I work with who is from Ethiopia, and he and his parents and sister spent, I think, close to 10 years in a refugee camp. His parents both passed away while they were there. Um and he and his sister got lucky enough to get the diversity visa uh, lottery, basically. So he was sent basically directly from refugee camp to Jackson, I think Jacksonville, Florida. Not a dollar to his name, just showed up on the beach, roughly. You sure, know? yeah. And uh, But so within like two days, he had, it was right, right around this time of year, he had found a Halloween store that needed people to unload trucks. And so... He barely spoke any English, but he could move stuff. So he was he was working to help unload these trucks, and from that he worked that into like a full time job. I can't remember where, and then ended up getting a, a scholarship for University of Central Florida. I want to say or something like that. So put himself through college, mechanical engineering. You know, ends up getting hired at John Deere, and then he went on to. Well, he was still in Jacksonville. He actually created a non for profit to help other refugees get settled in the U.S. and like have some of these advantages that he didn't have. And he actually ended up taking that nonprofit. He was able to go to the White House um, under Obama. So he met Obama and like told him about his non-for-profit and, or not-for-profit and uh, like pitched it to him. And so like got all this recognition and stuff. So I see someone like that and I'm like, he said, regardless of what the barriers are, I'm going to pursue my dream and make this happen how I want. Um, so he was, you know what I mean? Like, he, Oh, absolutely. He had all the drive in the world. And so I see people who are pointing at excuses of why stuff hasn't happened. And I'm like, yeah, but he was able to do it with nothing, like literally nothing. 
So, you know, I don't have an excuse. You don't have an excuse. Yeah, there are certainly there are barriers, but what what are we going to do? Yeah. And we we have as Americans, we have institutional advantages, right? Like those that's the other thing that doesn't get talked about. Well, you are just not a very compassionate person. <laughs> this is all coming out now. I, I'm just kidding, dude. I, I I don't I struggle with compassion for groups. I would say individually I'm much more compassionate if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think these things are um we don't want to set up false dichotomy. So a little theology here, like, um, so after that comment on libertarianism during the uh-huh. sermon, I talked to a guy at the service, and uh, he said, "You know, I think it's just they're both. You know, we have to have mercy and and res- personal responsibility is a, is yeah. a thing." And I said, "Yeah, and I think here's how they m- they meet or grace, grace and responsibility is that, yeah, we do have to take responsibility." Um, but when we're being irresponsible, what do we need? What what changes us? It's grace. Yeah, grace. Yeah. If you are being responsible, it's because God has given you uh, some degree of strength, mm-hmm. uh, perspective. Like it's not. So it's it's not a. So if I see irresponsibility, um, I do want to call people to that. But I understand that too. I understand irresponsibility. Like yeah, and I understand that they need. Ultimately, that God's help to change them, to change their heart, and uh, give them drive, give them, uh, well, responsibility. Yeah, I think that's interesting, um, because you could say that personal responsibility is a cornerstone of the Christian faith, right? Like, we're all responsible before God for our own behavior. Like, we're going to be called to account, right? That's the ultimate individual responsibility. But then there's the element of the fact that we're all born sinners, that's our nature, right? That's right. And that's something that we inherit by just being human. And so that's where I think you kind of start to blur the lines a little bit in having mercy, patience, grace with people who, yes, are individually responsible for their own actions, but they've also inherited a sinful nature that drives everything they do, right? And especially not just as, as as a Calvinist, uh, yeah, I do believe that the only thing that's going to move anyone toward any real goodness is God. Yeah. So yeah, you guess what? You're right. He is irresponsible. Yes, he is um, in sin. Um, but what's going to change that? You know, not my tax dollars. <laughs> hey, let's get to we got we got 15 minutes. Let's talk about wanderlust. Why'd you bring that up? Um, so I brought that up because I think that's one of the things that I well I can see it myself, and I think um, is maybe one of the characteristics of millennials that we haven't really hit on. Um, so one of, we talked about a lot of negatives. I think one of the positives of the millennial generation, if you read much about the positives at all anywhere is a search for authenticity. And like, um, part of the reason that millennials aren't buying homes and stuff is they're searching for genuine experiences rather than possessions. Right. So I think with the greatest generation and the boomers, um, we saw this expanding middle class and people who were just accumulating stuff. And I think millennials have kind of realized as a generation that that doesn't satisfy, that stuff doesn't satisfy because they've seen their parents have it, you know. You really they, think that? I think, yeah. I think okay. to an extent we've we've realized like consumerism doesn't, and I'm not saying it's over, right? We still practice this in a lot of ways, but I think we've seen that having a bigger house doesn't make you happy. It doesn't sure like you. the movie American Beauty. Haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Never mind. Probably maybe before my time. But it's kind of what the, the setting is. It's like you know, 
middle middle America, affluent, suburban, and it's just hollow. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, everything's pretty, but man, the, the family's a wreck. And yeah, anyway, that that whole idea. Yeah. Okay, so they want authenticity. Yeah, so authenticity, and I think I mean part of that is you see um, a valuing of relationships over over formalities or over certain structures. I think um, so. People investing more in relationships, but I think the other way that expresses itself is through people pursuing they have this yearning for something of significance and value and they don't know what it is they know it's not a home but they don't know what it is so they start searching for it and i mean you just i think part of the physical element of wanderlust is this emotional element of searching right yeah and so our body's like well i don't know what i'm looking for but i'll know it when i see it and so i'm just going to go pursuing it looking in all these different places and so that manifests itself in traveling all over the world so yeah so that's um well that's something you mentioned earlier right so like yeah i'm not buying a house and but i'm buying a ticket to europe or whatever and yeah um so maybe recount some of your experience with that that's something that isn't just something you've observed but that you've feel like you've participated in to some extent yeah i would i would say i definitely have um I mean, probably the first experience I can think of that falls in that vein is I went with uh, some friends on their family vacation in 2003. Um, So they were going out, they have relatives in California, and they invited me to go along for a week of hiking in Yosemite Valley. And so I got to spend five days out there with them hiking. We summited Half Dome. Um, And just realizing, I mean, I'm from farm country. There's there's a beautiful lake. There's lots of trees, um, sand dunes, very beautiful area, don't get me wrong. But Yosemite was like, it's a different world. It's the most beautiful place I've seen on earth. And I think that kind of sparked something in me that like just being able to see all this stuff out here, like there's more like it, let's go find it kind of thing. So since then I've, I've gotten into photography, I think, which was partly inspired by that. And so I've gone on a number of trips, both photography and just hiking and stuff. So um, in 2014, I went with my brother and some friends to uh, Summit Kilimanjaro. We also did a a three-day safari while we were there just photo photo safari and then i went in 2015 to iceland with a friend from work for two weeks um just traveling around taking pictures of stuff um yeah so i've been to china a couple times both for work and and my sister's wedding was over there so um yeah that's definitely been a big part of you my ever life. been over to uh waterloo <laughs> waterloo yeah. yeah okay i mean waterloo know. iowa yeah yeah waterloo um, canada uh i think i've been through there in a car yeah but you look back at that, and and obviously, I feel like your your critique has been a bit of a self critique. You're not just saying, "Oh, I traveled," but you're saying there was a sense of searching and and that that was partly motivating some of that. Well, for me, I think the critique has come in the last couple of years as I start to realize. Um, I guess I become more convinced that there aren't neutral actions in life, so you're either moving doing things that are moving you towards God or away from him. And I, I see that desire to travel, to see beautiful things, the whole Instagram influencer kind of effect as a generation that's worshiping the creation instead of the creator, which isn't different than any other generation, but it's like now it's actually the creation, the creation. (laughs) Yeah. The original creation. We don't need stuff. We need trees. and Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's like a callback to the earlier, like pantheism almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I see that and I'm just, I realize, you know, 
what value does my traveling to some other country and taking pictures of trees or waterfalls or whatever, what value does that add to the kingdom? Yeah. Zero. Right. Unless I'm, you know, preaching the gospel or something while I'm there. But, and that's not to say that people shouldn't have breaks and shouldn't rest and, and all that. But I just see the amount of effort put into that, the amount of hope and identity put into that, the amount of resources put into that. And especially for myself, I just kind of started to wonder like, man, could I be doing something differently that would be, yeah. So More if you're out there hearing this and you're like, I, I think I appreciate what you're saying, Ben, is you're not saying there's something wrong with traveling, but the reality is just know yourself. And that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. This is really confessional. You're saying, man, I, I can identify the motivations and the thoughts and the amount of hope and things that went into this and it wasn't healthy. Yeah. And I think, you know, it comes back to where's my identity, right? And what am I finding pleasure in? And I think when that becomes my identity is photographer and my pleasure is in seeing people that enjoy my work. That's a problem. Right. And it's not to say that you can't be a photographer or you can't, people can't enjoy your work, but yeah. Where do you put your hope? But you can't. <laughs> I can't. For a time. Yeah. I mean, that's what, and this is, you know, this is we're growing in wisdom and the gospel is really important. You know, it's, it's simple. Religion is simple. You know, here's a list of 10 things not to do. Uh, but yeah. you know, Christian life walking by the spirit isn't simple because really fine, neutral, good things could be really, really bad and toxic for you depending on your motivations, inclinations, yeah. and it's hard to see sometimes. So, And I think one of the things that we really struggle with or perhaps overstep in uh, frequently as believers is we see something that is one of our vices that someone else is doing, and maybe it's not for them. Maybe, you know, some things are truly sin. Some things could be a matter of conscience. But then in the, in the flip side, we see something that isn't, or we don't believe is a sin for us. We see someone else doing it and we assume that it's not a sin for them either. Right. So the same behavior can be good or bad depending on the intent. Yeah. And so I just assume we're all constantly sinning all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the safest (laughs) assumption, but so this came up uh, in a discussion with some friends about, um, like standards for what types of movies you watch and stuff like that. And so they were, their critique was like, well, you know, not watching movies with, you know, nudity or sexuality in it and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, not disagreeing with that at all. But there's also all these other things. What about robbery? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other sin that's portrayed in movies. What about just watching movies? At right? all? At all. Oh. Right? Yeah, like, that's not, that's a sin. Yeah. That's where I was going to go with it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, fundamentally, I could probably count on one hand, maybe two, the number of movies that made me um worship god more that gave me a chance to share the gospel well you're like, becoming a monk dude <laughs> now, i just want people to think like it's easy to write rules that say get rid of nudity and profanity and blah 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 that doesn't tell you whether or not you're sinning by watching a movie right right no it doesn't no. so that that was my point and i think most people just glaze right over that because that's like, really hard so let me ask so like because you can apply that question to anything like hey i'm gonna about to, uh, i'm gonna grab a sprite like is that making me worship god more yeah, you know, like, hey, I'm gonna go. I uh, gotta go inflate my tires. Is that really making me worship God more? Yeah, that's a tough question. It's a high <laughs> threshold, right? So, yeah, how do you not? How are you not riddled with anxiety? Or maybe you are. Because, well, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's all about you know, God continues to reveal things to me that are that I need to know, and He's patient with me, right? Yeah. So I don't need to try and get ahead of the work that He's doing. All so right, all right. continue to let Him teach. respond to that in a way that is appropriate but not be out you know yeah not becoming a monk necessarily right that's not 
Yeah, you're no monk. Right, yeah. What else you the other, sorry, go ahead. The other thing I was gonna talk about yeah. I wanted to hit on real quick is some of the some of the instances in scripture where you can see travel for other reasons or, or ways that we have some of this in ingrained in us, right? Mm, mm. So like Paul's missionary journeys. Yeah. So he had a, a wanderlust, so to speak, but his motivate so he traveled all over. His motivation, right, is the differentiator because he talks about how his desire was to go to places where the gospel had not yet been preached. Yep. Right. So he's finding these remote corners of the world not to take selfies, but to preach the gospel. Right. So I, going back to your point, travel by itself isn't innately bad, right? So there's there's there can be redeeming value in travel. But is it only good if I'm going to preach the gospel? Well, there was that one pastor that was raising money for that jet so he could get places faster and preach the gospel more. Right? <laughs> no, but I mean, it sounds like you're so. I know that's not what you're saying. So let's nuance it a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah. you're saying that like uh, that. Then the only way the uh, the travel is glorifying to God is if I'm going to preach the gospel. No, I mean that's obviously that's the most extreme, clearest example. Okay, right. But I think really. One of the things that's becoming more clear to me is that I think far too often we default to um, a decision that's socially palatable. We don't we don't question it, don't because, question it. right? Yeah. And so for me, it's becoming much more about: is this something that is I feel is personally yeah. taking me toward God or away from? It's God. good. Care about it. Yes. Yeah. So I I'll think just that's, go with the flow. Right. So I'm not saying people shouldn't take vacations, but I think people should, as they're planning one, say. Or be thinking, you know, is this is this? Ask God, yeah, yeah. Put God is, in the is equation. Is something we should be doing? Yeah. Or as you take your vacation, are there ways that you could be structuring it such that you're drawing your family closer to God? Whether it's yeah, dude. Here's the answer. I actually have an easy. Just play Christian music the whole time <laughs> on the drive on the plane. What kind? Michael W. Smith. Hand out tracks. New Kanye album. The Kanye album. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So uh, so yeah. so Paul's missionary journeys. You got other ones? Yeah. So the other ones, I think this is maybe a little bit more pertinent. Um, the verse, and I can't remember. I didn't bother looking it up. So maybe you know the reference, but um, we're the verse that talks about how we're all strangers and sojourners in this world, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an element of that wanderlust that is maybe a misinterpretation of what we feel mm-hmm. in knowing that we don't belong. Right, so we're just passing through, and I think taking that picture of wanderlust in the physical world and applying that into the spiritual world, keeping our eyes focused on our destination, right, and not being distracted by all the things that could be distracting along yeah, yeah, the way yeah. along the path, yeah. But kind of have maybe absorbing some of that wanderlust identity in a spiritual sense, and yeah. that we're not becoming attached to the physical, um, yeah things that we have today you know going back to that whole not valuing or not not prioritizing you know buying homes or whatever that might be material possessions you know who else had wanderlust who's that jesus he did he lusted after his bride is that wanderlust and then he wandered (laughs) into the creation (laughs) he he was out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights so he i mean he left home yeah Right? Foxes have holes and birds have their nests. But right? I mean the home. Oh, Where the incarnation I see your point is now. a wandering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? He, I mean, but it all comes back to intent, hey, though, right? Man, I, what's that? It's all about yeah, yeah, intent. That's what I'm saying. He was he yeah. was after that. Yeah. 
That's good. Hey, we we're at an hour. I want to keep these short. And oh, you got something? What else you got? You give me another. Give me one more. Uh, well, so the, the um, my cl- I'll call this my closer. As okay. I was looking at Wanderlust, um, the the uh, Tolkien poem about Aragorn came to mind. Not okay. All, not all who wander are lost. So that's my. I guess I would call it my challenge to anyone who may be listening, is to not be a lost wanderer, but be someone who's wandering with purpose in Christ. Purpose in Christ. Yeah, yeah, man. You you were like you wrote a sermon, dude. You brought it home. <laughs> I was just gonna chat. You got a Christocentric yeah. like outline. Trying. This is good. Hey, lastly, would you, uh, Ben and uh, his friend, my friend Jack Korzanowski, who's another uh, member at Redeemer. He's not extraordinary though. He's just member. Oof. So I don't want to break that news to him. Well, Sorry, now Jack. he knows it's out. Um, you guys do a podcast together. Tell us about it. Yeah, so it's called Tangential Banter. Um, it's just the two of us. We come in cold. We have a list of topics that we haven't researched. We just think are interesting, and we talk about them for anywhere from half an hour to an hour. Um, we've talked about why napkins are usually square, um, bathroom etiquette in men's restrooms. We've talked about um, our first topic was are humans like hives, and not like hives on your skin like right, bumps, like a like beehive. Beehives, yeah. So we've covered quite the gamut of different. Well, that makes topics. me want to listen to the napkins one now. <laughs> That's fascinating. And if you want, I mean, the whole point is we don't really have a destination in mind. We're meandering through Tangential. Topics. It's tangential, yeah. Tangential so. banter. So there's no wrong answers and there's no topics really off limits. We Good, and you go. can find that on all the platforms. Pretty much, yeah. So Joe Sweet Rogan, Joe Rogan, the biggest podcast on the planet, yeah, the biggest media so. outlet on the planet. Yeah. He gets more listeners than everyone. It's out of control. It's Fox good. News, CNN combined. He's not on Spotify. Really? I only watch them on, well, I watch, listen, on YouTube. I use CastBox, but it's been getting glitchy. So I'm like, well, I use Spotify for music, so I yeah, might yeah. switch over there for my podcasting, but he's not on there. And uh, I got to have Joe Rogan, man. He's yeah. got some, he had Edward Snowden on there. Did you listen I started, to that? I started listening to it. Yeah, I mean, like that guy's, that guy's a talker. Yeah, he it's went on much. like a monologue. It oh, it's just too much. He's like, so tell me about how you got into uh, the CIA. He's like, well, when I was a young child in <laughs> Vermont, you know, he's like, story. T- it's like, oh, yeah. my neighbor lady really inspired me. And you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah. dude. I mean, so you got to keep in mind his context, right? Like he's the dude's up. living <laughs> in a hotel room by himself for, what, five years now? Yeah. Running from the American government. But, dude, that's big time. You got Edward Snowden on yeah, the podcast. Dude, like, what's a bigger guest? Putin? Yeah, like and that one, like that's somebody I genuinely want to hear. I, part of what's fascinating about Rogan to me is that he has all these guests I've never heard of, but they have genuinely interesting things to say, and they're usually really well thought out. And like, you get a pretty broad um, spectrum of opinions. And yeah, he's not selective. Yeah. He'll take a, a yeah. Nazi, a yeah, progressive. He doesn't care about that. <clears throat> anyway, so there's that tangential banter. So Ben, thank you. Yeah. And uh, to be here. as always, thank you all for tuning in. Love you. Have a great week.